When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by one of the other two hosts of the No Nonsense podcast. We had some scheduling issues this week, so Matthias is not with us. It, for the moment, is just Will and me. In just a bit, though, Justin Mello, our good friend who joins us every year ahead of the draft, We'll be hopping on to talk about all things Titans, all things draft, and we're very excited about that. First, though, there is a topic that we need to address, Will, and that is that the A.J. Brown rumors trade stuff that we dismissed a couple of weeks ago on here has not gone away. It's it's remarkable. Uh, and, And even just now, like, My phone just buzzed, and I've already seen this, but my phone is alerting me to it again. It's this picture of uh, the Jets offense that PFF has put out where it says Jets potential offense, and I see Zach Wilson, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, Braxton Berrios, and A.J. Brown. So, So take us through, Will. Where is this coming from now? Because the Rich Samini stuff has really died down. It's coming from somewhere else now. And and is it ever going to go away until he signs an extension? I mean, it's all the same stuff, right? So it the first time it was ever introduced was when Rich Samini brought it up. And then the Titans absolutely nuked the topic when they had Mike Keith talk about it on the podcast. They had... John Robinson in a story for uh, Jim White. Then um, Mike Vrabel went on like radio shows and said, I'm, I'm, he's not going to trade it as long as I'm coach, blah, 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 all that stuff. And they finally managed to kind of get that out of the public mindset, even though everybody was still like, well, imagine. I'm like, th- they would phrase it like, if the Titans don't want A.J. Brown, even though that they've already said we do want him and he has already said I want to be there but you know anyway that's how it, that's how it survived and then AJ Brown did the thing that all like all future free agents or players who are trying to get a new contract do which is he deleted Tennessee out of his social media which you know like okay like this is chapter number 4000 we've seen on future free agents doing this like how many times do they get traded never i mean like 
very rarely. Like, I, I don't remember this being a big story with Devontae Adams, like, and he actually got traded, or Tyreek Hill. Like, if you're actually going to get traded, this usually doesn't happen. Um, but, you know, then there are cases like Baker Mayfield where it will probably happen, so who knows? But I, I don't think that's anything. But also, Adam Schefter, you know, Mr. Editor talked to the agents and all that, and uh, which is really how this whole thing is surviving anyway, is off of two things, fan bases who wish they had AJ Brown and AJ Brown's agent who wants everybody to keep talking about how much they wish they had AJ Brown. And so those two things keep firing each other up until the Titans sign him to a deal, which I mean, until it happens, you know, the people are going to keep talking about it. And then maybe even the next, you know, maybe even next year after it happens, people are going to talk about, well, can they really afford this deal? But it's just, it's never going to go away because good players are always coveted by other teams. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point, the idea that the Titans have never had someone that good before to uh, to cause this type of reaction. And, and it's sort of true, like, you know, and it, and it helps, too, I think, the excitement of the position. Like, Taylor Lewan was really good back when he was up for an extension, but, you know, no one's clamoring for, hey, let's trade for a left tackle and imagine this offense because of a left tackle. So a little bit different there. Same same thing with Kevin Byard. I, I just think being a wide receiver carries a certain uh, allure to it, a certain celebrity and we're seeing that play out with A.J. Brown. And I don't think it's going to end until he signs his extension, which isn't going to be till July, because historically the Titans don't do these extensions until July. But you know, he is sitting out of uh, uh, whatever you call phase one off-season program, as are many Titans veterans. And we'll, we'll talk more about that during the Stop the Nonsense segment at the end. So, so don't go anywhere. Uh, but, but yeah, I'm kind of with you on all those points. Yeah. And you know, it, it does, it also doesn't help the argument that, like I said, you know, Hill and Adams, like big time wide receivers are getting traded and everybody's getting paid. Like the Jaguars have to desperately overpay to get anybody in the building. So they had to pay Christian Kirk a billion dollars to sign him. So once that happened and once the other trades started to happen, like it's inevitable that any team with a good wide receiver is going to get brought up in trade conversations. Like there's just teams who prioritize the position and teams that don't. And you know, there's people who want out and people who want in and uh, with all those moving parts, you can basically play fantasy football and just say like, well, that guy might not like it there. Yeah. Maybe we could trade for him, and it, it keeps itself propped up until anything happens. And that's all this is. That's what the Rich Samini stuff was. Is It wasn't reporting. It was analysis. It was saying, well, could this happen? Would this? Is there some kind of logic to that? And, and perhaps there is in the sense that, you know, maybe the Titans would want to not pay him. I, you know, I don't know. As someone who covers the team, I don't think there's a whole lot of logic to it. I can see how someone outside might have come to that conclusion. Uh, that's going to do it for just the two of us, because like I said, we've got Justin Mello coming on. Uh, Justin joins us every year, the week before the draft, or a couple weeks before the draft, uh, for a full episode visit. He's one of the best draft analysts out there. And we look forward to welcoming him onto the show in just one moment. You're listening to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast.
Joined now by our good friend Justin Mello, who joins us every year ahead of the draft. Justin uh, has written for numerous publications over the years since he's been joining us, but now he's with the Draft Network. That's where he took his uh, prospect interview series that he does. How, how's that been going this year, Justin? Is it like usual where every year you kind of end up with more folks than you did the year before? It's been busy. I'll say that. It's, it's been very, very busy. Uh, I, I love the series very much. Um, it's also looking forward to putting it behind me in a, in a few weeks' time, right? It's, it's one of those uh, situations where, uh, look, don't, don't get me wrong. I've been extremely you know, blessed and thankful to, to speak to all these guys. I, I think right now I'll probably end up with a, a relatively similar number as I do every year, trending around 100, I think, right now. Lots of first round picks, lots of, you know, second round picks, third round picks, fifth round picks, uh, on and on. Really about to close the series in a strong manner. Really excited about the, the, the last few guys that I'll be presenting um, next week and, and throughout this weekend as well. But some really strong ones on the way. Guys like Jermaine Johnson out of FSU, Evan Neal from Alabama, uh, Sam Howell from North Carolina. So and I've done Aiden Hutchinson already and Trayvon Walker and, and, and some of those uh, big fish that, are, that have a chance to go number one overall. So uh, it's been a fun series this year for sure. So off of that, before we get into anything Titan specific, I just want to ask you about this draft class because I've seen sort of varying opinions out there. Some people have compared it to the uh, sort of infamous 2013 draft class where there wasn't a whole lot of great stuff that came out of the first round with a few outliers as the exception. And some people are like, no, this is a strong class. There are good players that you can find throughout. So, so what's your take on this draft class as a whole? You know, how would you rate it maybe compared to what we typically see? Where are the strengths? Where are the weaknesses? Yeah, I think there are a lot of uh, really good football players that will be starters, long-term starters, long-term solutions for their teams uh, at their respective positions. Uh, I would agree that it probably lacks some of the star power we've seen in recent years. I mean, you can go back last year and you had you know Jamar Chase at fifth overall, right? Like, I, don't, I don't think there's a player in this class that has a chance to maybe make that sort of impact in year one, mm-hmm. but I do think there are a lot of good long-term players. You know, some of the strengths... I, I think the offensive line class is really strong, both from uh, you know all three positions, a tackle, a guard, a center perspective. I think the tight end class, again, uh, we're, probably lacks overall star power. I don't think you're going to get a Travis Kelsey uh, or a George Kittle in this class, but I think there are a lot of really good long-term tight ends uh, to be had. I think the edge class is fairly strong. There's a lot of receivers. Again, I don't know that you have a high-end uh, you know, a receiver like a Jamar Chase or even a Justin Jefferson, but I think it's a deep class, you know, 20, 25 deep at the position. So, uh, and even corner and, and safety is, I think the safety class is better than it was a year ago. I thought last year safety was probably one of the weaker positions overall. I think it's a lot stronger this year. So there are a lot of good football players and I'm excited to revisit this class in, in a few years time. So I'll go ahead and jump in with uh, the topic that we we touched on a little bit before we started recording. There's no way that the Titans draft a quarterback, right? Sorry, did you say should or will? Both. (laughs) Because those are two different conversations. One is a prediction and one is, you know, sitting here objectively analyzing it, right? Uh, and you know it, it's it's really funny because I'll, I'll be the first person, and I know I'm, you know I'm supposed to be a professional here, and I'll be the first person to raise my hand and say 
I've had a difficult time separating those two conversations. Yeah. And that's me being completely honest because, you know, on, on one hand, my personal evaluation is I'm not very high on this quarterback class. And I, and I have felt the exact same way since the very beginning. You know, when I first started uh, diving into the tape, what, you know, back in September, October, uh, you know, started watching immediately the Malik Willis's and the Desmond Ritters and the Kenny Pickett's of the world. Um, I, I haven't changed my mind the entire time. You know, the, the senior bowl did nothing to change my mind. Uh, the combine did nothing really to change my mind. Revisiting the tape didn't do much to change my mind. So I feel good regarding my personal evaluation where I'm not very high on the class because I have felt the same way the entire time. And for me, that tells me I've had clarity on it from the very beginning. I've had very little reason to second guess my opinions and my evaluations. Uh, and obviously you, you can tell by the way I'm trending with this topic that I'm not very high on the class, right? If I didn't mention that um, previously. Now, history suggests that one of these guys will probably pan out, right? I mean, you can look at some, you know, you, you, classes are typically uh, unpredictable. And yes, you have got that one class that had the, uh, was it the EJ Manuel class where none of them panned out? Sure. Him, and, him and Geno Smith were the top two guys yeah, that year. Which year was Christian Ponder? Ponder was the Jake Locker. Ponder year. was 2011. Yeah, yeah. Jake so Locker, had, Cam had, Newton, Blaine Gabbert. Yeah, you had Cam Newton in that class. But other than that, Blaine Gabbert, that class was really ugly. There's always a chance it could be, you know, that class or the E.J. Manuel class where essentially none of them pan out. Uh, but historically speaking, you know, one of them is probably going to pan out. I mean, you can look. I, I know our uh, friend of this show, a friend of the Titans community, Mike Herndon, is a big fan of referencing uh, uh, the, the the Patrick Mahomes class, right, where Trubisky was first, and then there were a lot of questions on Watson and Mahomes and, and yada, yada. And, and, and I'm not saying I agree with Mike, but <coughs> excuse me. I'm not saying that I agree with Mike, but that's a good example of sometimes the unpredictability, right, of, of a quarterback class. That's why I've had a difficult time separating this conversation because, on the other hand, you know, it, they've clearly shown interest in the class, right? And they certainly have done their due diligence. Uh, I don't know that you could name me a quarterback uh, that they didn't attend the pro day of, right? And, and didn't attend the pro day with, with several members, right? Whether that was Pat O'Hara, whether that was Mike Grable, Todd Downing, John Robinson, heck, they even brought out... Uh, uh, I think it was Monty Austin for for one of the pro days, which I thought was really interesting. I don't know how much leg work he typically does on the pro day circuit, but 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 he was you know he was there for a couple of them. So and that's what and that's if you're if you're listening to this and you're not sure what I'm referencing, they were at Sam Howell's pro day, they were at Matt Corral's pro day, they were at Kenny Pickett's, they were at Malik Willis's, they were at Bailey Zappi's. Hell, they were at Akeel Glasses, Alabama A and M, right? They were the only team that attended that pro day. Uh, for for a late round potential UDFA quarterback, so uh, they've shown inter Desmond Ritter. I, I think I, I forgot to mention there. They've shown quarterback in the, uh, interest in the entire class. They brought Malik Willison for a top thirty visit, I believe, right? Which was was really shocking to yeah, me. Yeah, that's the weird one. Yeah, because I, I can't imagine he's going to be available at uh, anywhere near twenty six. You don't you don't have a second round pick this year as a result of the Julio Jones. Uh, disaster. So you'd be hard pressed to trade up right in this class to get a quarterback. So that's, I, I think you understand what I mean when I say I've had a hard time separating it because I don't feel, you know, very good uh, regarding this class, but they've no doubt done their due diligence and, um, and they, they've shown interest in all of them, right? There, there's no denying. So 
A lot of people talk about getting cheaper and younger at the position. I understand that argument uh, to an extent. It's not just uh, this quarterback, uh, you know, a rookie quarterback versus Ryan Tannehill. In a sense, it is a rookie quarterback and you know, the $25, $30 million you save against the cap versus Ryan Tannehill, right? It's it's the rookie quarterback and the two, three vet- veterans you're able to re-sign or attract via unrestricted free agency versus Ryan Tannehill. So there is something to be said about that uh, as well. And, and you know, there, there's always the possibility they're setting up a smoke screen, right? But it'd be one hell of an elaborate smoke screen, right? They're racked up a lot of miles doing that if that's the case. So... For me, I think what this question of drafting a quarterback comes down to, because I, I suppose there is a chance that they really, really like one of these guys. I mean, who knows? But for me, it's a question of of where are you, are you getting your value? Because if you're the Titans, you've talked all offseason about got to get better around Ryan Tannehill, got to be great around Ryan Tannehill. It would seemingly contradict that to, you know, instead of finding him help, find his replacement. And so the question to me becomes with that, can you find, if you find a quarterback that is an upgrade over Ryan Tannehill in the future, is that worth what you potentially lose in helping him out in 2021 or 2022, rather? So break that down for me. Because the first part of the question is right, is there a guy in this class who eventually, not this year, can be an upgrade over Ryan Tannehill, can give the Titans a better chance at winning the Super Bowl? And in question number two that plays off of that is, with that, what type of player are you going to lose? Because you mentioned there's no, you know, blue chip, Miles Garrett, Jamar Chase type of prospect, but I feel like you still can probably at 26 get a good starter who can help this football team. Yeah, it's it's a really good uh, elaborate question, Luke. I think if you if you identify a quarterback that you think is going to be better than Ryan Tannehill and become a a long-term franchise quarterback, I I don't think that's much of a question, right? In that scenario, I think you you pull the trigger, right? We're talking about the most important position in all of professional sports here, right? So if you feel you're going to get a guy that's a long-term franchise guy, then then I, I think you have to draft him. My question, again, my issue is, I personally don't think I've identified one of those players, uh, one of those quarterbacks in this class, but uh, my evaluation certainly d- doesn't mean it's the same as theirs, right? Like you said, they there's a legitimate chance that they could really like one of these guys, right? And if they do, and they, they do so with conviction, uh, then they should probably draft them, right? And I said this on my own show recently on the Music City Audible with Justin Graver, Um we don't really know what John Robinson's process is uh, on evaluating quarterbacks, in my opinion, because, yeah. because, you know, Cole McDonald and Luke Falk, yeah, you know, if that's what we're going off. It's not good. Right? But <laughs> those, are day, those were day three dart throws, right? At the end of the day, all kidding aside. So you'd, you'd be silly to evaluate uh, his ability to, to, to identify quarterback talent in a draft via uh, a couple sixth and seventh round picks that he made. Uh, they cut, they, they saw, they, they had Cole McDonald for 15 minutes in there and they had seen enough, right? So you'd be hard pressed yeah. to, to, 
to think too much about that. And even the Ryan Tannehill situation, call me crazy, but I don't consider that trading for him, at least. I don't consider that to have been some big uh, decision or some big mastermind plan that they had. I, they got fairly lucky, I, I think, with Tannehill to begin with. I don't think that was a big decision when you've got a, you know, a, a, a starter, you're not sure is going to be there much longer, and Marcus Mariota, and you come across an opportunity to acquire a, a veteran in exchange for a fourth-round selection, and the team is willing to pay a ton of his salary in year one, like Miami did, right? So that's an, almost another one of those dart throws that's worth the risk, right? So I, I don't think we know a ton about John Robinson's uh, process of evaluating quarterbacks. Now, I know I'm getting a little off topic here, so I'll answer the second part of your question. What are you losing potentially? Well, I think you'd probably be losing uh, a quality offensive line starter. You've got an offensive line that's getting a lot older. Obviously, Taylor Lewan at left tackle, Ben Jones at center are not going to be around forever. Certainly not, not, you know, there's a good chance one, if not both of those guys aren't there in 2023, potentially. Uh, you've got a hole at left guard right now. I don't know you have any clue who's your starter at left guard. You've got a couple of guys that might be able to compete there. Aaron Brewer, of course, entering his third season. You signed Jamarco Jones in free agency. That was a really low-cost flyer. And you got Mike Vrabel, I, I think, potentially talking about him being a starter at left guard, which was really uh, unlike Vrabel to be so forthcoming, if you heard that comment a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I don't know you know what's going on at right tackle, right? I, I still like to think Dylan Radins is your right tackle. I think you drafted to him. Be him. There's no to be him. There's no chance it's not like you don't say here. All of these other offensive linemen are going to play left guard specifically, <laughs> and we'll see what happens at right guard. He just can't tell. Like, I think Vrabel's biggest weakness is that he will never acknowledge that he made a mistake. Like he, you know, I, not that he's not accountable, but he's never going to say playing Questenberry was a terrible decision. He was bad, and the one game where we had Raidens on the field it embarrassed us how easy it was for him to look better than a guy we started all year long. I don't think he's going to say, yeah, of course we should start him. Of course him. he's that, not going to say that. But, but that's, that's the vibe I get is the, well, he's going to have to compete for it. You know, he's not a starting tackle right now. Yeah, he is. He's better than the one you played last year. So to <laughs> sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 no. Go <laughs> ahead. That's, that's my little mini rant on how, how weird it was for him to say that and how it has to be Raiden's at right tackle. Well, what's interesting is they went right back to Kissenberry after that game, right? And Ravens was forced to play left tackle really yeah. last second, right? Because of a COVID uh, positive test the day of that, that primetime game against San Francisco. But um, what I meant more by that is they spent a lot of time putting him at guard last year, right? Practice reps there. So yeah. it's tough to say uh, with certainty which position they view him playing going forward. I, I When they drafted him, I thought it was very clear they were drafting him to be their right tackle. I mean, it happened after, you know, one year after the Isaiah Wilson debacle. It seemed very clear to me they didn't need a guard at that time and they needed a tackle. So I, I would be shocked if Dylan Radins um, factored in at guard going forward. That's just my personal opinion. It's hard to say what they think. I asked this to my draft networking crew recently. I said, did any of you, you know, our scouts there, we got a lot of experience, you know, Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, former scouts, Dre Harris, Brentley Weissman, who have scouted in this league. I asked them, did any of you, think Dylan Raiders was a guard uh, when you scouted him that final year? And I, I didn't get one yes. No, I, I thought it was pretty clear he was a tackle. So color me surprised when they spent so much time uh, playing him at guard uh, in practice and whatnot. But uh, again, I know I'm, I'm getting off topic a little, but I think that's potentially what you lose by drafting a quarterback. You lose maybe a plug-and-play offensive line starter. 
at either left guard and right tackle. I think Zion Johnson is a guy that makes a ton of sense uh, at left guard for them next year. Uh, Trevor Penning, if he's there, if you see Raiden's as a guard by chance, then maybe uh, Trevor Penning is a guy that you identify. And you're also potentially losing out on a uh, a day one starter at receiver. Because right now, I, I don't know who's starting on the outside opposite A.J. Brown, right? And if it's Nick Westbrook, then you probably haven't done enough to upgrade uh, the, your pass catching options like you said you wanted to this offseason, right? Surrounding Tannehill with more talent. So those are the things you're potentially losing uh, if you draft a quarterback. You're losing a chance to upgrade your offensive line. You're losing a chance to upgrade uh, your wide receiver group. So let's talk about, you brought up pinning. Um, by the way, that's the scariest thing in the world is to imagine pinning playing right tackle and Raiden's playing left guard with Lawan. Like that's like the highest cut, like lightest, like combination of left tackle, left guard and right tackle. Although pinning's not light. He's just really high cut. And I don't love, you tell me how you feel about Trevor pinning. I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that you tell me how you feel about Trevor pinning as a right tackle prospect. I like him. I, I do. And I think he fits their profile, right? I think they love tough, hard-nosed uh, SOBs, for a lack of a better term. And I don't know if you guys were down there at the Senior Bowl or not, but uh, everyone hated him there, player-wise, because uh, he was starting fights after practice. He was getting after guys. He was playing through the whistle. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's 6'7", 325, runs 40-yard dash in 4.89 seconds at the combine. Right? This is a high-level athlete, and they value athletes at the position. And, and, and to be frank, they should value athletes at the position because that outside zone you know, running scheme requires athletes, right? It's all about, as you know, uh, you know getting, to point a, getting to point B before your opponent does, right? It's about reaching a spot on the field as opposed to a man. So uh, I think Trevor Penning is a good fit in that scheme. With that said, uh, Will, uh, if, I, if I've interpreted this correctly, I, it doesn't sound like you like him very much. I don't think you have to worry about him drafting him because I'll be fairly surprised if he's still on the board at 26. I mean, in what scenario, he's going to be the fourth tackle off the board. I feel fairly confident saying that. Now, when your first two, Evan Neal and, and Icky uh, from NC State, when they come off the board in the top five, top six, in what scenario does the fourth best offensive tackle make it to 26? Right? I, I, I can't think of many scenarios where that happens. If it doesn't Was happen... Was Isaiah Wilson... The uh, fourth tackle, because <laughs> I because I, I also remember the the big three of uh, Andrew Thomas uh, that that class, and then I remember as there being a big drop, and then no Austin Jackson probably went before him, but yeah, Austin I, Jackson went before twentieth yeah, overall, I think. Yeah, but uh, but you're right. Like that's the thing is I don't think you have to worry about him getting past that Chargers Saints. Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, that 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 area. And then people talk about the Ravens. Like, I don't think you have to worry about that. But to me, like, I I think he's fine. I think his number, his testing numbers and his disposition are perfect, like for what the Titans would want. Like they like freak athletes, like they like big, tall guys who can run fast. There's so much of the time where it looks like he just. Like he either doesn't sustain on the next level, which I don't love, or he like will one arm some guy and he'll like look backwards towards the running back, which drives me crazy. Like, or he'll like wait till after the plays, which his famous move, especially from the senior bowl is to wait until after a plays over and then to kind of roll up on a guy, which that's fine in college. Like that's highly encouraged. It got half of the Titans fan base to hate Taylor the one and Taylor one was playing at a pro bowl level. So, I, I mean, I don't know. Like I, I don't, I don't care one way or another. I think he's got enough positive traits, especially like his 10 yard split or whatever. in his 40 yard time, like historically great indicators of what 
an offensive lineman will be at the next level. But it like he stresses me out watching him stand like upright and one arm linebackers because I'm like that, that's not gonna work like at the next level. But that's that's my whole thing with him. Yeah, I mean there will certainly be a transition uh, period uh, for him going on to the next level. And coming from Northern Iowa, that's a given. But you know. Uh, not to get off topic, but I really liked his teammate a year ago. I really liked him a lot. I went on a ton of a ton of podcast radio shows and said that that was a guy that they could have maybe identified in the third round prior to the draft. Uh, Spencer Brown, that is. And you look at the return the Buffalo Bills got out, out of that guy in year one. Yeah. So if Penning isn't there at 26, is there anyone on the offensive line that's worth that that could still be available? I think Zion Johnson is. I really, I really like the kid from Boston College. Now, I, I do think there's a fair conversation to be had about the value of drafting a guard in the first round. I mean, you got Nate Davis in the third round. You've gotten some good play out of Aaron Brewer and UDFA. Um, so there is a fair question there, and and, and I get that. I, I'm not all you know, and I'm not all about drafting guards in the first round, but. I do think Zion Johnson is a hell of a prospect, a clean prospect that is of the plug and play material at left guard. So if you know you you didn't get very good pass pro out of that spot last year out of Roger Saffold, you've now you know downgraded the position as things stand by releasing Saffold and moving on to whatever you got going on there with Aaron Brewer, Jamarco Jones, Dylan Raiden's, whatever it is, you've probably downgraded the spot as things stand. You weren't very good across the offensive line to begin with a year ago. So now you should be really concerned, right? That you've, you've gone backwards at that, at that position in particular. So I I think Zion Johnson is a guy that could move the needle forward. And I think they're going to love him. I I don't have the whole story in front of me. I, I, I recall a lot of it, but this guy was showed up at, was hardly recruited out of high school, showed up at Davidson at like what, 220 pounds, put on a ton of good weight, dedicated himself throughout the process, ends up making his way to Boston College. I don't even think he had a scholarship when he first arrived there. He was playing left tackle for them. He's not going to play left tackle in the pros, but he was playing left tackle for them at such a high level. That screams, uh, that tells me a lot about the player, right? That he could handle, uh, you know, the most important position on the offensive line. He goes to the senior bowl. I think they even had him take some snaps at center at one point. And he just... He just screams football player to me. Obviously, we know all the connections between the Titans and Boston College. Of course, Tyler Vrabel playing on that same line uh, as Zion Johnson. Mike can, can, can pick the brain of his, of his kid and, and see what he thinks there. Uh, is Frank Periano, I think, still on staff with the Titans? Mm-hmm. He would potentially have some yeah. insight into Zion Johnson and the program as a whole. Now, I don't believe Periano was there when Zion was there, but certainly he still has some good friends on that staff that he could reach out to and ask about the kids. So uh, I, I am a really big fan of Zion. I think he's a really clean, easy projection. And, we, you know, they don't love starting rookies uh, is something a lot of this fan base loves to say. If they draft Zion Johnson, uh, I would be pretty surprised if he wasn't their day one star. Yeah, as long as they're not getting their intel about offensive linemen from Sam Pittman anymore, perhaps they can. Yeah, uh, no, I think that bridge has been burned. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he blocked me on Twitter because I constantly tweeted at him uh, <laughs> because, because I was so I, I didn't tweet at him. I tweeted about him and attributed him with his handle. Well, I, uh, I interviewed Pittman after they drafted Wilson, too. and and he you and I around the same time. I think Luke. He, he was talking about uh, you know. Came to Athens overnight after graduation and run and, and ran in, in the heat. And that was I, interesting. 
I appreciate the reminder because I might have to go back and delete that article so no one ever looks it up. Probably, probably the worst thing I've ever written. It's good good history. Uh, so looking at, again, the question of what could potentially be available at 26 versus the Titans' needs, we talked about offensive line. Uh, obviously, receivers the other position that I think most folks think there's a great chance of them going with. Is it receiver or offensive line, and that's kind of it? Because I'm kind of to the point where unless it's one of those two or quarterback, because if they make a solid argument in the press conference, I could say, okay, I see what they were doing here. I'm kind of to the point where if it's not one of those three positions, I'm confused what the strategy is. I would agree. I would be pretty shocked if it's not one of those three positions, especially if it's not offense, right? I mean, it's obviously not going to be a running back. I don't think it's going to be a tight end. I've had that argument with that Titans film room on the Music City Audible quite a few times because he refuses to rule it out. But I I don't think it's going to be a tight end at 26. Uh, Yeah, I would be shocked if it's not receiver, offensive line, or quarterback. I mean, you look at the defense – the only position, I said this on the most recent episode, again, of MCA that, that dropped on, on today on Tuesday, the only position that you could even make an argument for, and I don't even really think you can make an argument. What I should say is the only position I think if you tried hard enough, yeah. you can make an argument for is if a guy like David Ojabo, like an edge guy who maybe you got a top 15 grade on, right? Slips to 26 because he's injured. We all know the joke. John Robinson loves drafting injured players. Yeah. But you got a top 15 grade on Ojabo. He slips to 26. I don't think you're going to be able to keep Bud Dupree on this roster forever, right? Not, not at that, not at that money that you've paid him, not at what you just paid Harold Landry, right? That's one of those guys that you may have to dump even after 2022, right? And, and they've got a pretty easy out um, out of his contract after 2022. It's a premium position, right? It's one that's really important. One of the three most important positions in all of football in my personal. Uh, I still believe in the old mantra that the game's all about uh, a quarterback, protecting the quarterback, and hitting the quarterback. So it's one of the three most important positions, in my opinion. You can, if you squint really hard and you try hard enough, you can maybe understand drafting a, an eventual Bud Dupree replacement at, a replacement at edge if you feel you're getting unbelievable value, a top 12, top 15 talent in the class. They, hell, they brought in Jermaine Johnson for a top 30 visit, the FSU kid. That was another surprising so one. I love the I love the player. It's not, there's not a lot to dislike yeah. about the player, but I can't imagine he's going to be there at 26. But like, they're doing their due diligence, clearly, right? And I'm sure they've done a lot of homework on Ojabo as well now that there's a chance he's going to be there. But but no, I, I would ultimately be really surprised if A, the pick wasn't on offense, and B, it wasn't a receiver, uh, an offensive uh, lineman, whether a guard or tackle. Uh, I would even rule out center, all right, or, or a quarter. I, I would rule out center if, if you're confused by my statement. I think it was, it's got to be a receiver, a tackle, or a guard with uh, the quarterback thing uh, serving as the uh, realistic wild card. Well, we've talked a lot about the offensive line. We've talked about quarterback, but there's one position of that group left to go, and that's wide receiver. And we'll dig into that with Justin in just one moment. You're listening to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. Okay, so I, I've gone over this. I've said it several times on Twitter, and you know, I've, t- I've talked about it in articles. Historically, in almost any draft class ever, if you're picking at 26, you can get the sixth best wide receiver, whether that's 2004 when seven went in the first round, whether it's uh, 
what was it, two or three years ago when it was supposed to be the best wide receiver class in history? Like all these different classes. Now, most times you can get the wide receiver three or four. Almost always you can get the five, but you can always get wide receiver six. And so to me, I look at the draft board and I see six wide receivers that I would be perfectly comfortable drafting at 26. And to me, it's those top six wide receivers or Zion Johnson. And those are really the only acceptable answers. Like Kenyon Green, I get it. He's versatile. He's not that guy for me. I, I like him fine. But like to me, it's those seven options. Like, are there six wide receivers you would be comfortable taking at 26? I think that's a really fair point. Um, for me, the cutoff is around 5.5, right? I, I'm assuming your sixth uh, is Jahan Dotson from Penn State. I, I mean, Jahan Dotson, I, I don't love him. He's fine. Sky Moore, I don't love him. He's fine. But I can see any of those guys. I would rather start Jahan Dotson or Sky Moore than any of the other options. Like, there's that's the biggest tangible upgrade that I can see over Nick Westbrook Aquina than somebody coming in and starting over. Uh, Jaron Brewer. Yeah, whoever wins that left guard battle compared to what you can get in the third round. That's fair. And I think there are a lot of very good interior offensive linemen that could be there uh, in the third round, which is true historically, right? I mean, guards and centers aren't that valued, and a lot of good ones go in round three and four. But uh, I think for me, what you should be aiming for here is the fourth or fifth fifth best receiver and I, I, it's not totally impossible for me that's Chris Olave or Traylon Burks now let me be clear when I let me take that back a few seconds and say I, I think Chris Olave is the best receiver in this class he's my number one overall receiver but I don't think he's going to be the first second or third receiver drafted I think Drake London uh Jamison Williams and Garrett Wilson I think all three of them will, will get drafted before Olave so then to me, you get down to Olave and Traylon Burks. And I think if you can walk away with one of those at 26, and I feel pretty good that one of them will or could be on the board there, then I think that is an absolute steal uh, for you. And I, I, I would like to think you run that pick to the podium. Yeah, Bur- Burks is the guy for me. Like, I, I've got a dog barking in the background if y'all can hear that. But <laughs> I, I mean, like, Burks to me just screams everybody says Debo Samuel I I think he's just so clearly AJ Brown but a slightly worse route runner but like still like I I mean everybody complained about AJ Brown only played in the slot or AJ Brown Brown played primarily in the slot until DK got hurt and then he got moved out it's like yeah but when you ask him to do these things he does them well like so much so that if the Titans tried to recreate their trade I wrote about this too about recreate their trade that they made uh to get up to get uh, Rashawn Evans a few years ago, if they called yes. the Patriots at 21 and they're like, hey, like we'll give you 26 and uh, a fourth round pick to move up five spots, we'll get, we'll get our guy. You just traded for a wide receiver. You're good. The run on wide receiver is going to happen. If you don't love any of these guys or if you're okay with moving down and getting the best interior lineman in the draft or, or whatever you'd like to do or Devin Lloyd, wh- whatever you want, then let's do this trade because I don't think Traylon Burks is going to be there at 26. And I feel I, I don't feel s- super confident that he'll be there at 21, but I feel much, much more confident than waiting for him to get through Green Bay and uh, uh, 
who's the other? So another, another wide receiver. Yeah, can't, like in Kansas City, like in just in yeah, they, those two. Like I, I don't know. Like he's too easy of a fit there. No, you bring up a lot of really good points there, and I'll, I'll say this, Will. Uh, I spoke to a scout uh, maybe two weeks ago, and we had a very similar conversation where uh, he actually brought it up to me. He said, you know, why is Traylon Burks, why does he have to be Debo Samuel? What's wrong with A.J. Brown? And, and the first time I watched Traylon Burks on tape, I, I wrote down very similar notes. And again, this is going back several, several months, back into the fall where I said, you know, he, he's got a lot of A.J. Brown to his game, the way he runs, how physical he is while running routes. I agree. I don't think he's as good of a route runner, not quite as crisp, not quite as efficient, not quite as smooth and athletic, uh, maybe as A.J. Brown is. But I think there's a lot of similarities, right? I think that the physical traits really stand out to me, the run-after catch ability, ability to break tackles, create for himself after the catch. Uh, I, I think pairing that guy opposite A.J. Brown is a terrific de- uh, would be a terrific decision. And I like that you brought up A.J. Brown at Ole Miss because uh, if you go back and remember that, uh, a lot of the pre-draft talk on A.J. Brown is he's never going to be able to play outside. He's a slot-only receiver. And, boy, has he made a lot of people look foolish um, for saying that, for thinking that. So uh, I- I'm with you on the Traylon Burks love. And, I- again, I think the sweet spot for me is five and a half because I think the goal really should be – uh, or the hope should be Olave and Traylon Burks. And I think there's a really decent chance one of them is still there uh, at 26. Look, if you're the Titans, you, you hope the Green Bay Packers, they have a type, right? And it wouldn't shock me if that type is more along the lines of a Christian Watson Christian or Watson. A, uh, yeah. a George Pickens from Georgia. Yeah. I, I mean, it would be great. At, like, it, it, you can see their fan base panicking already that that's who they're going to draft because they love those big, tall guys like, I, I hope that happens, but I mean, man, like, I, like I just don't know how you can look at Christian Watson and not look at Traylon Burks. But that's the like the SEC better version of that guy. Like, he's not as tall and his numbers aren't as pretty. It's like, but but man, he he wins. Uh, I mean, everything you want him to do. But yeah, I, I mean, that that's where I am on that. Is to me, it's like you said, you have five wide receivers. I like I I am comfortable with whichever your sixth one is, but you know, that and Zion, I just can't see a way that there's a better improvement on the board when they pick. And, and I'll say this. I, I love, I like sky Moore a lot. So I hate to even say this. I'm a big fan, but I don't think he's a first round pick. I, I don't really understand where some of that buzz has come from. I mean, I compare him a lot to his teammate from a year ago, Dwayne Eskridge, and I know scout the player, not the helmet. And I, and I do that, but a lot of similarities to Eskridge and Eskridge didn't go to like 63rd or 64th overall. And I think Sky Moore should probably go in a, a, a fairly similar range, 50, 55, maybe, but I, I don't understand the, the 25 to 32 buzz on Sky Moore. Yeah. He, he gets a lot of hype from that NIU game or, or whatever it was where he put up like three touchdowns and it's like, it looked fine, but it, I mean, it would, like you said, Dwayne Eskridge was, was just as good last year, but yeah. He was. And he was every bit of every bit of the player. And, and look, I, I, I really loved watching Sky Moore throughout last year. I mean, the tape is excellent. The combine was excellent. 10-inch hands, one of, or uh, greater than 10 inches, I think. One of the strangest facts of the combine was uh, he had the biggest hands of any receiver in attendance. Crazy. By no means the biggest receiver there. Not even close, right, from a yeah. height-weight perspective, but the biggest hands of any receiver there. And he gets open and catches the football. And that's why I really, I, I do really like Sky Moore. I think it's one of those simple evaluations. Every rep, Sky Moore gets open and catches the football. Doesn't make a lot of contested catches because he doesn't have to. He's always open. And Jahan Dotson's a little similar. Jahan Dotson, I think, is a great route runner. 
Absolutely, right? I mean, really good route runner, very diverse release package. One of my favorite guys I've spoken to throughout my interview series, one of the most polite uh, guys I've come across, a guy that I, I feel very confident in saying loves football, studies the game of football, has a great football IQ. Uh, I, I like Jahan Dotson a lot, but I, again, I'm not certain that uh, that would be the best choice you can make at 26. If the Titans double dip at receiver and come back, say, in the fourth round, who would they be looking at? Ooh, fourth round. I think Khalil Shakir out of Boise State is a really intriguing one. That's another guy. Uh, Zach from the F-Words pod actually hit me with quite an interesting fact uh, yesterday. I think uh, he had hit me in a group chat saying something that I think 75% of Shakir's catches last year either went for a first down or a touchdown. It's unheard of. 75% went for a touchdown or a first down. He went to the senior bowl and he was really good there as well. He put opposing corners in a blender all week long. They just couldn't keep up with him, right? That's the separation quickness, the first step explosiveness. Uh, I, I really, really like Khalil Shakir. I'm going to skip over some of the other names I would talk about because I don't know. You said fourth round. Like, I don't think Jalen Tolbert makes it to the fourth round. He's a guy that I really like. I don't think Calvin Austin makes it to the fourth round. He's a guy I like. I kind of like David Bell. I, I know a lot of, you know, the, the testing wasn't great, but I don't think David Bell makes it to the fourth round. Uh, I think Wendell Robinson makes it to the fourth round. I, I think Wendell Robinson's available even later than the fourth round. That's one of my quote-unquote hot takes uh, that that uh, people seem to disagree with. I see a lot of Wendell Robinson in the second, third round of mock drafts. Uh, I, I think people are going to be shocked where Wendell Robinson gets drafted ultimately. And, and I could be wrong and call me out on it if I am, but I don't think there's going to be a very strong market for a 5'8", 178-pound receiver that runs a 4'4". If you're that size, you got to run low 4'3s like Calvin Austin from Memphis did, right? But he didn't do that. He ran mid 4'4". So I think Wendell Robinson will be available on day three if you're interested in him. I think Alec Pierce from Cincinnati. I don't think he's their type. I don't think he's ten. I think he's more again Green Bay's type. For example, big, long, fast is just going to run vertically. Uh, I, but I think he'll be available there. But for me, uh, when you're talking about fourth rounders, Khalil Shakir is a guy that really sticks out to me. I'll give you one final name there. Uh, I would maybe think about rolling the dice on Justin Ross out of Clemson. Right, that's a guy that's a, an interesting late day three gamble because of the injury situation. Uh, if you remember years ago. Justin Ross was a, a first-round pick, right? He was perceived as potentially one of the next big receivers out of a, what's well, a receiver factory at Clemson. So uh, if you're getting Justin Ross that late, I, I would be very intrigued. I will say I'm not that high on several day three receivers. Like, like there's a lot of love for Velas Jones out of Tennessee. You want to take him on day three, go ahead. But he's 25 years old as a rookie. That's something that everyone who likes him is conveniently ignoring. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's really, really old for a rookie. This guy's not going in the second round. I'm sorry, Vols fans, right? There's a lot of people that think Vilas <laughs> Jones is going early. It's, he's 25 years old. He spent six yeah. years in college. So uh, Kyle Phillips out of UCLA, another guy's getting a lot of love. I'm not huge on. There's only so many Hunter Renfros and Cole Beasley's in the world. Uh, people don't realize how rare those guys are. So uh, I've kind of summarized the day three receivers that I'm a fan of personally. Okay. So let me ask you this. Let's say by some miracle, which I, I thought might happen earlier in the draft, but or earlier in the draft process, but not now. Let's say Jameson Williams falls in the first round, or John Mechie falls in the third. I uh, no chance. Yeah, no, I, it, it's broader <laughs> point. Uh, but let's say for a better, let's say Mechie falls in the third round. My general question is, how concerned are you over one of these injured guys coming in? You know, with it, with Robert Woods injured, probably won't be back week one, or he'll be limited week one, all that. Like, 
would you mark those guys just off, except unless Jamison Williams popped up? But like, would you kind of push those guys away just in the hopes that you start somebody week one? Or would you look at, you know, if you're John Robinson, do you say, well, Frable's never started any of my guys week one anyway. So why don't I just draft him and then let him heal up and then take a bet, slightly better player than what's available? That's a good question, uh, Will. I, I think there's, for, first of all, if Jamison Williams is there, yeah, I think you sprint the, to the podium, right? Like, I want to see John Robinson or run a 4-5 to the podium yeah. and take Jamison Williams because uh, at that point, I'm throwing that question out of the window. If Jamison Williams is an elite receiving talent that I'm, I'm taking there. Um, with John Mechie, I do think the conversation is a little bit different. I think at that point, you probably start comparing it to which other receivers are available. Um, what, what, are, what are my grades on all of these players? How similarly do I have them stacked? And, 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 and maybe at that point, if you've got, you know, for example, Jalen Tolbert is there or, or Calvin Austin or whoever, and you've got really similar grades on all of those players, and, and, and then maybe you factor in uh, that one of them can help you probably sooner than the other can. Uh, I'll say this. I think NFL teams will probably be a little lower on John Mechie than the general public will be. I think there's a pretty good chance that Mechie's available in the third round. I don't know if he makes it all the way to 90 or whatever they're picking in the third round, but I don't think Mechie goes in the second round. So there's a very real possibility that Mechie is there and you have to come across that question. I think ultimately, I don't think you consider uh, what you said about Robinson saying, well, you know, they're not going to play many of my guys to start anyway. I don't think you consider that at all. I think you more say this team can win football games in a variety of ways. And we are not going to lose a ton of football games in the first six weeks of the season uh, because John Mechie and Jamison Williams didn't help us. They will win some games because Derrick Henry is going to run for 200 yards. They will win some games because the defense limits the opposition to 10 points, 13 points, and creates three or four turnovers, right? This team can win games in a in multitude of ways. So I don't think you worry about that too much. Uh, but it's a fair question, especially with Robert Woods coming off uh, injury as well. You pair Robert Woods and Jamison Williams, and now you've got two, two of three starters, right, that may not – uh, be 100% the first six weeks. But like I said, I think you you still comfortably move forward with that because you're not going to be 0-6 because Robert Woods and Jamison Williams weren't at 100%. You're going to win a couple football teams without them needing to do much heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. And A.J. Brown too, right? A.J. Brown will have a game where you've got 12 <laughs> targets and he's got 160 yards and you're wow. going to win a game that way. Maybe for Zach Wilson. We'll see. Yeah, it's made for the New York yeah, Jets. That's, that's yeah, that's right. We're not talking about the Jets right now. If the Jets have their way. <laughs> we got we got a little bit of time left. I want to hit on tight end before we go uh, because we haven't talked about that yet and that's obviously a need for this team with as, as uh, bad as that position group was in, in 2021. Added Austin Hooper. He's probably the starter no matter what happens. So you've got a chance to add someone maybe – a more of a high ceiling type of guy who you can develop and, and not have to rely on right out of the gate. And you're probably looking at, at the third round for that to happen. As you mentioned earlier, no second round draft pick and the first round picks probably going quarterback, offensive line or wide receiver. So all that to ask, who are some guys that are going to be available that you think are fit? Yeah, I'm glad you asked this question because I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to put my hand up and say when they signed Austin Hooper, and they brought Jeff Swain back. I, I kind of went a little galaxy brain in my own <laughs> mind. And I started I started wondering, what if they don't do something else at tight end? Because Austin Hooper is your starter. I think there's no doubt about that. And Jeff Swain, he got 
you know, as much as we may not all be a fan of it, he got tight end two money, right? Like they gave him like what three and a, was three, and, three a and a half million. Yeah. So that's that's definitive tight end two money. So I started wondering, what if you know maybe they're not as much in the market for a, a tight end via the draft as we think they will be, but then. I started talking to all of these. I've talked to the majority of tight ends in this class through my interview series. And I asked all of them, you know, who are some teams you've met with? Who are some teams brought you in for a top 30, yada, yada. I don't know that I've come across a tight end yet that didn't say they've spoken with the Titans. Yeah. I've had guys go as far as saying I've consistently heard from the Titans. I uh, went for a top 30 with the Titans, right? Uh, so that, you know, they are looking at tight ends, Justin. Don't worry about the Jeff Swain <laughs> tight end, too, and Austin Uber. They are definitely looking at tight ends. I think the only one that you're probably not going to have a chance to draft, unless they listen to uh, my evil co-host, Justin Graver, and they take Trey McBride at 26 overall, I think that's probably the only guy that you're not going to have a chance to draft because I think he's the tight end. I think he's tight end one. I think he'll be drafted as tight end one. So I think he probably goes in the second round. Heck, even if no tight end goes in the second, I think a team immediately pounces on him in the third way before the Titans come on the clock at 90th overall. Uh, but other than him, and I think some of these other tight ends that will get drafted uh, before the Titans come on the clock, I don't think they may not have a chance at Greg Dulcich out of UCLA. They may not have a chance at Jelani Woods out of Virginia. I mean, Woods just, you know, the way he tested through the roof, there's a good chance that, you know, teams will be high on him. Although I have my own opinions, I, I'm not super high on him. I'll, I'll put my hand up and say that. I don't quite think the testing matched what we saw on tape from him. But when I'm looking at the Titans range, to, to really get to your question, two guys that I can't help stop thinking about are Kate Otten and Jeremy Rucker. I absolutely love both of them as prospects. I love both of them as fits for this offense. And I think you you said the third round, Luke. I wouldn't be shocked if you didn't get one of those guys in the fourth round. Hmm. And I'll tell you why. Uh, neither of them have been healthy, unfortunately, throughout this pre-draft process. I think we got to Ohio State's pro day, and Rucker was still in a walking boot at that point in time. Kate Otten, uh, he just you know conveniently got cleared uh, to start running the other day, and We'd be foolish if we didn't think that was a carefully crafted text message sent from one of his agents to to Ian Rappaport or Adam Schefter, whoever reported it first. Kate Otten just got cleared, right? And I, yeah. I'm not saying I know that for a fact, right? It just well, I'm we can put two God. and two together, right? We can put, and I I, I hate to say because I love Kate Otten. I'm a huge fan of Kate Otten, and I think both of those guys, Otten and Rucker, I think both of them uh, are ideal fits for the Titans. I think uh, you know. First of all, Kate Otten might be the best inline blocker in this class, right? He, he's mm. something, and it's boring, you know, we beat, beating a dead horse, but the Titans like guys that can play in line, right? It's yeah. just a fact of their offense, right? Well, and they've got to find someone who's versatile because last year with the tight end group, it was a flashing neon sign based on the yes. personnel as to what they were about to do. And, and that's a conversation we all had before the year started. And yeah. unfortunately, it was completely true, right? Anthony Furcher is not a blocker and Jeff Swain is not a receiver, right? So uh, well, I don't know what Jeff Swain... Arguably, he's not a blocker either. Yeah, but. right. I was yeah. about to say, based on some of the results last year, but they certainly paid him mm -hmm. like he is. So, uh, But you're right. They need to get a versatile guy. And I think Kate Otten, 
uh, is a, a terrific inline blocker, terrific inline blocker. And I think he's a pretty good pass catcher as well. Again, I think he perfectly captures what I said earlier about this tight end class, where I don't think there's a high level guy. I don't think any of these guys are going to become Travis Kelsey or George Kittle, but I think Auden's a really good uh, two-way player in the sense where he can stretch the seam vertically, can get open, uh, has enough separation quickness, is, is a crafty, nuanced route runner where he can get open, separate from safeties and linebackers, create maybe even some mismatches there. And he can line up in line for you as well. I think Jeremy Ruckert is fairly similar. I've got fairly similar evaluations. The thing about Ruckert that kills you and potential will get you in a lot of trouble. We all know that, but I do think there's a fair point that there's a lot of untapped potential uh, for Jeremy Ruckert as a pass catcher because, unfortunately for him, he played next to Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and the other receiver they got over there. I'm not going to try to pronounce his name because I know I'll struggle doing so, but <laughs> that kid is going to come out a year from now, uh, Jackson, and Smith be and unbelievable. Right? Yeah, that kid, he's that awesome. kid is that kid is incredible. So uh, Ruckard was playing in this offense with all these guys, and they asked him. They asked him to line up in line a lot, right? And do the dirty work, and he was very good at doing it. But you see some of the, you know, the the red zone production. A lot of touchdowns for him was a big weapon down there for them when they got uh, within twenty. So I love both of those tight ends. I love them for the Titans. I think they both make a ton of sense. And I think there's a pretty decent chance that one of them is going to be there uh, in the fourth round. I'll, I'll give you two day three guys that I think they could potentially like. One of them is Charlie Kalar out of Iowa State, 6'6", 252, uh, 34 and a half inch arms, 10 inch hands. Uh, this is a guy that also has a lot of, uh, you know, really good inline ability. So I think he fits what they look for. I don't think there's a ton of upside there as a pass catcher, but I do think there's a chance uh, certainly that he gives you maybe something better than Jeff Swain uh, gives you in that area for his entire career. Right? I think there's a chance he develops into a guy uh, that can do that for you. The last one is a guy, and I, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I had broken news that they had in for a top 30 visit with San Diego State's Daniel uh, Bellinger, 6'5", 253, 32-and-a-half-inch arms, 10-inch hands, ran the 40 and 4.63. I mean, that's a really good time uh, for A, for the position, and B, for that size. Uh, they And they did some, you know, they asked them to do a lot in line for them, I, I thought. So that's another guy that I think maybe has a little untapped potential. When I watched him on tape, uh, and I'm, I'm reviewing some of my notes, I watched him against UTSA, thought he was unbelievable in that game as an inline blocker. If you haven't watched that one, he was so dominant. But that's what they asked him to do. They didn't give him enough opportunities in the passing game. But when they did, I thought there was some, some good quickness, some good athleticism there that, you know, kind of matched what he did at the Combine. I had someone tell me throughout the process that, and I, by the way, I think Daniel Jeremiah, if you, if you noticed recently, very intriguing. Uh, I had Daniel Bellinger in his top five uh, tight end right. That was shock. That was pretty shocking, right? Based on what the general consensus is, but we know, you know, we know DJ is plugged in and, and, you know, it, he's having these conversations. So I spoke to someone uh, certainly within the business uh, who knows Daniel Bellinger fairly well. And, and, and I had, a, a, you know, and I cross-referenced uh, that information I received with a scout. I had one scout tell me after I cross-referenced the info that I got that if Daniel Bellinger had gone to a Big Ten or an SEC school, that he would be a lot of people's top tight ends in this class. I thought that was extremely interesting. I had a scout tell, uh, tell me that when I went cross-referencing some info that I received. So that's really, you start looking at what DJ did there with his, uh, with his ranking. And, and I love DJ to death, but all these guys don't, don't get me wrong. They're very, when they put these things out there, 
They've done their homework, right? They've spoken to, you know, it's not hard for DJ to pick up the phone and call a GM, right? And call, call, uh, call decision makers, right? Before, uh, you know, uh, formal, formalizing opinions. So yeah. uh, I'm a big, big fan of, of Daniel Bellinger potentially on day three. Will, you got anything else for Justin before we head out? No, I, other than the fact that this is a crazy deep tight end, like it, it's like you said, it's not super top heavy, but man, like I, from, you know, Ruckert, Otten, Woods, Kolar, Bellinger likely is completely different. Uh, the kid from Maryland, whose name I can't pronounce. Yeah. Chid, the Cal- Bronco, yeah. yeah. He's super fun to watch. Uh, Calcaterra is interesting. Mm. Like even Wademeyer is like an undrafted free agent or like a weird, like seventh round flyer type guy. Like that, like there's a lot of guys on this list where every time I look at it, I'm just like, would they be better off spending their first fourth round pick on a premium position? Like they're, you know, they're a Monty hooker of this class. They're Dane Crookshank of this class. And then kicking tight or kicking tight end down to the second, fourth round pick, or maybe even the six. Cause man, that like, there is a lot, the, a lot of similar ish guys you can get from tight end two to tight end eight. I, I will, I will say this really quickly. Um, this is the way it's a wide receiver and or an offensive lineman in the third, in the first round. Whichever one you didn't take, you take the other in the third round. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to those two fourth-round picks, I like the way you're thinking, Will. I think you go – and again, it depends on how the board falls. But for me, it would be potentially a Jeremy Ruckert or a Kate Otten there. Mm -hmm. And I I do like the idea of the safety with that other fourth-round pick. I I think – Dane Crookshank gave you some really good things in coverage last year, right, coming down towards the line of scrimmage, taking away tight ends. Uh, Jayon Brown wasn't that guy last year for you. You lost him. I don't really, you know, I think that's an underrated need, you know, not to get into that too much, but I think, you know, losing Crookshank there, uh, I don't think, I don't know that Zach Cunningham or David Long is that guy, right? And I certainly don't think Monty Rice uh, is that guy either, right? I think Monty Rice is more of a bit of a throwback thumper, right? Has a little Rashawn Evans to his game, truthfully. So uh, I think you need a guy there. Two names that I absolutely am in love with in this class. I, I, if they make it there to that fourth round, is JT Woods out of Baylor and Nick Cross out of Maryland. I, I, I love both of those players. Justin, as always, I, I think this is our fifth year having this chat, and uh, we're, we're grateful for you to come on. We'll try to get you back after the draft like we did last year to have a, uh, um, a post-mortem uh, for the draft. <laughs> Before you go, uh, let everyone know where they can find your interview series, where they can find your content, because it is in so many different places. A lot going on right now, for sure. Uh, of course, I, I am with the Draft Network. I, I've been there since August, so I'm coming up quickly on a, a year being full-time uh, with the Draft Network. Uh, the, doing a lot for them, not just the NFL Draft Series, which, of course, you could find on there. At least one interview every single day. It's been that way for the last three months. I, I, think, I don't think that a day has gone by where I haven't published at least one interview with one of the prospects in this class. In addition to that, I'm doing a lot of other draft work for them, right? We're talking about uh, today alone, I wrote about uh, 
uh, interior offensive linemen sleepers. I wrote about uh, receivers the Cleveland Browns may want to target. So I'm covering all 32 NFL teams for them, both from a, a league perspective and a draft perspective. So you can find a lot of my work daily on the draft network. Uh, of course, uh, still covering the Tennessee Titans for BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We'll, ha- we'll be having some fun draft content coming there in the coming weeks. Still with the uh, Music City Miracle as well, Music City Miracles as well over at SB Nation, doing the Music City Audible pod with Justin Graver, who's at Titans Film Room, who's now an official employee of the NFL. So uh, the, 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 the pod got some clout, right, when I got hired by TDN and he got hired by the NFL. So we got some newfound clout over there. <laughs> Uh, on the MCA pod. I feel like so. I woke up one day and then all of a sudden he was on the Around the NFL podcast. Yeah, I I'm mean, like, that's, that's essentially, essentially yeah. how it happened, right? He, he uh, I mean, hey, Justin Graver is one of the most talented people I've ever worked with. All oh, yeah, side definitely. Of if, if you guys had the pleasure, and some of them are still up on YouTube, of seeing the production that he did um, for the Tape with the Titan series that him and I had going for a while where we broke down. I remember down that. Through, and we broke down film with David Long, uh, uh, Anthony Furtzer, uh So, Christian and a couple Fulton, of unreleased right? episodes. I'm sorry? Christian Fulton, too, right? Christian Fulton. Yeah. We have a couple unreleased episodes that broke my heart. No one knows this, so I'll drop a little nugget on this pod. We had an hour and a half long episode with Roger Saffold. That oh, we didn't I get bet that was fantastic. Oh, it was unbelievable. We broke down the tape uh, against the, uh, Tom Brady's final game as a New England Patriot. That, that game was offensive line porn where they just opened up holes for Derrick Henry to go to 220, 250 yards, whatever he had. We broke down essentially that entire game with Roger Saffle. We may still put that one out there one day. We'll see if we uh, get around and and cut through some of the legal red tape required uh, to put put out those episodes. But we we had Brett Kern on there. We didn't get to release that episode. Uh, I think we did release Michael Pruitt. We had Dane Crookshank. Like, we had a lot of really – but my point is if you go back and look at the production, that, that was all him. I was just there to talk and look pretty. Some yeah. of the graphics that he did on that, you you wouldn't be surprised that he got oh, hired. No, by not at all. We love He's Justin. Fantastic. He's been on this podcast before. Yeah. Uh, we're pretty fond of this Justin, too. Thanks so much yeah. for joining us. Pleasure is all mine as always, guys. Five years running, like you said. Hopefully, we'll hit that 10-year anniversary <laughs> in a couple years. Hey, let's go. Want to reiterate how thankful we are to uh, have had Justin Mello join us. Before we close out, though, well, we've got some business to take care of. It's Stop the Nonsense time. And as we've done in the past from time to time, this feels like a good opportunity to have one of those dedicated Stop the Nonsense segments where we just talk about one topic. And I think you know the topic I'm referring to. Uh, yeah, it's got to be. Uh, I was gonna make a joke, but I'm just so mad. I can't. <laughs> I can, I can it, tell like, you're <laughs> God. Just it's so it's so frustrating. I but, knew a yeah. joke was coming, but then I. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about um, Jeffrey Simmons and AJ Brown and uh, Mike Vrabel, and I guess Ryan Tannehill all not being it. Uh, the whatever this phase one thing is. Well, the outrage has really only come toward Mike Vrabel because no one's at this thing. Yeah. I, I can't say for sure. Like, I hadn't talked to these folks, but the Titans posted a video on Monday of them, like, filming players walking in. Mm-hmm. And the most notable players we saw on that were a, a handful of those who spoke to the media, Kevin Byard, Ben Jones, David Long. Then it was, like, Imani Hooker and, a, and not much else. And from what I recall last year, they were very much in the same boat. So 
Right. First of all, like you said, Mike Vrabel wasn't even there yesterday. We do know that. He was on some kind of business. But then no Tannehill, no Derrick Henry, presumably, no Simmons, no Autry, Landry, A.J. Brown, we know wasn't there, no Taylor Lewan. But the only one that people really seem to care about is Ryan Tannehill. And the only reason they care, it has nothing to do with, well, this is a bad look and he's a bad look. The only reason they care that he's not there is because he threw three interceptions in the playoff game. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it as soon as the the playoff game was over and we've talked about it throughout the offseason that there was this idea that because he's the most visible person and because he's got the easiest you can point to you know, you can look at the box score and say, okay, three interceptions, that's bad. He must be the reason why we lost this game. And uh, Derrick Henry didn't do great, so let's say he's the reason we lost the last two games too. And nobody watch, like nobody goes back and watches the Ravens game. Nobody goes back and watches the Chiefs game. Like I remember after the season, I went back and watched it, and I talked to you all about it, and I was just like, this is insane. It's not. This is not the reason why they lost the other two games. Like, Tannehill's bad day happened at the wrong time, Basically, he just gets everything that's conflated into an argument of my favorite team didn't win. He's the easiest guy to point to. Let's point at him. But, I mean, it's it's incredibly frustrating how little thought goes into it and how much it's just like the that this argument is the only way he can prove me wrong is if he wins a playoff game or if he wins a bunch of playoff games. Well, he's and already then, won. He's already won a playoff. Yeah. Game. And then when, when you talk about, yeah, when you talk about, Oh, well he did beat the Ravens and he beat the Patriots in the playoff games. Like, yeah, but not the way I wanted him to win. And it's like, <laughs> okay, like you're, what you're wanting is you're wanting a guy who puts up 300 passing yards, but you also want your, your favorite running back of all time to get the ball 20 times. And there's just not that many touches in a game. And it's it's just one of those things where you can't tell the people that you want them to run Derrick like that Derrick Henry can't run the ball as many times if they want that kind of stat line. But it's just you, you just uh, there's no logic behind it. Well, look, we could sit here and debate all day. Can the Titans win a Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill? But at the end of the day, the answer to that question is irrelevant to the topic at hand, which is does it matter that he's not at this offseason program? And the answer to that is no. Because, first of all, like I saw a lot of fans, it was like, man, he needs to be getting those reps. There are no reps right now. No one is on the field. They, may, they might be running on the field. That, that's all they're doing. It's just running and lifting right now. So there is no on-field work. There's no football. Like, like yeah. the actual physical football is not involved at this point. And to the point of, well, he needs to be meeting the new guys. What new guys? Austin Hooper and Jamarco Jones? You're that bit out of shape that he's going to wait another few weeks to shake their hands? I mean... This is nonsense. The whole, like... It didn't help Isaiah Wilson. Like, Isaiah <laughs> yeah. Wilson went on busting with the boys, and he was he Did was he sleeping really? in hot tubs uh, or cold tubs after practice. Yeah, he's, he, there's a him and... Uh, I think maybe Nate Davis. Him and somebody. Isaiah uh, Wilson, went on I gotta watch with. that. It's, it, it's so... Like I, I've only listened to it like a couple of times, but it's so like Isaiah Wilson and Jameel Douglas. Will. That's who it was. Yeah, what? That makes a, sense. Oh my gosh! How that's, did I not know I mean, this existed? And 
surprisingly, Jamil Douglas, not the worst offensive lineman on that. That conversation, so, it goes, uh, yeah. it goes Lawan Douglas and then a far, far gap. And then Panda. Yeah. And then you have to barely recognize him as an NFL offensive lineman. So <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, even he made like, he made the rounds and did all that. It didn't make him any better. Like it didn't make him in any better shape. Like, you know, all this stuff, like it just, it, none of it matters. Like, it's good to see the players. It's good for them to get back in town. Most of them are either already living in town or they've got charities that they're promoting and doing events for or whatever. Like it like it's it's just well, it doesn't it doesn't matter. The funny thing is, well, for you know, argument number one, if you're gonna have this energy about Tannehill, have it toward Vrabel and Henry and everyone else. Argument number two, there are no reps. Argument number three, like Kevin Byard when he was talking about why he chose to be there from what I recall on on Monday, basically said, I was in town working with Frank Piriano, who's one of the Titans' uh, strength and conditioning folks. And I was already here and in the building, so I just thought, well, like, why wouldn't I come? Like, I might as well. There yeah. wasn't this grand declaration of, like, oh, I have a duty to be here. He's just like, oh, I'm already around, you know, might as well. Like, it's it's so frustrating because it's just people people will look for any reason, which is insane to me that we've gotten to this point because it's like, I mean, this goes back to the conversations we were having during the season where we talked about, you know, Tannehill wasn't putting up great stat lines, but they were winning, blah, blah, blah. And we should have focused on look at what he's doing with who he's doing it with and look at how much like look at how many things go wrong around him. And instead we talked about, it's like, ah, you know, we just, it'd just be great to have a little bit more from him, all that kind of stuff. And then now we're in the situation where people are so like, it's not, it's not against Tannehill. Like it, the thing is, is it tight. He's just, just very polarizing win. right now. Yeah. It, it's the problem is like, if you can't, look at a stat sheet and say like look at how many like look at how many yards he threw for like look at his touchdowns all the stuff like people don't want to add any context and people are just lashing out at the thing closest to him and what's going to happen is i mean it, well if titans fans had their way john robinson's smarter than this but if titans fans had their way they would cut Tannehill next year and move on and do all that and boy i don't know it sure has been a long time since we've had a quarterback as good as Tannehill. I mean, like, Steve McNair at his peak was better than Tannehill, and that's about it. Like, I mean, Warren Moon was was awesome. That was, what, in the 70s? Like, I mean, so three times in the last 50 years, we've had, you know, solid quarterback play for more than one year in a row. I, 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 don't, I don't know why Titans – I don't know what Hill Titans fans have, you know – to die on here that makes any sense yeah. like just be appreciative of what you have like and I, and I tweeted this other day everybody thinks that it's the best quarterback that wins a super bowl every year but everybody also forgets that eli manning's won a super bowl more recently than aaron Rodgers. so i mean being the best quarterback doesn't guarantee you a super bowl just have a good team like i don't understand this that's gonna do it for us this week we will be back next week for our final pre-draft episode. We'll be doing our annual mock draft where, like always, it's not predictions. It's we're going to be taking the player that we would pick in that spot. We'll bring on a fourth magical guest to join us so that we can 
evenly divide the 32 teams among us. And it's going to be great fun. And then the draft after that. So be sure to stay tuned. Until then, for Will, I am Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.